0: I, um, I commented in the chat that I was like, Lydia's got more hair on her upper lip than Lincoln's got on his entire body. Oh, boom. <laughs> Lincoln responded with, Ian, I'm just allocating your next project now. And I'm like, eh, right, okay, I don't care. I'll see you in three weeks.
1: Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 43, for the 30th of June, 2023. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, what has Google gone and done now? We look at a few new Google features, plus security and breaches, and the Australian government turns the screws a little more on cyber crooks. But before we get to any of that... I'd like to introduce the co-host of the show, Ian Brown. How you going, Ian? I'm good, banky. How you doing mate? Oh mate, 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 mate. What a week. What a week it has been. It is the last day. We're actually rec- we're actually recording a little bit earlier. And ah, oh, that's just I've just had the biggest weight lifted off my shoulders, I tell you what. Yeah. So I'm feeling fantastic.
0: No, it's it's it has been a bit of a oh, it's been a good week. I've I've finished up a project this week and uh Yeah, just looking forward to getting on the road now.
1: Yeah, that's right, because we'll we'll, we'll be meeting up, uh, what, on Monday? Yep. Uh, I've got uh, a five-hour drive on Sunday, and then about the same, about five or six hours drive on Monday uh, to come to your place, and then we're off for three weeks. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. The preparation has been insane. Yep. Um yeah we've had multiple meetings haven't we and yeah. we've got lists lists <laughs> lists lists, lists of things, <laughs> things
0: and a last minute uh, change of itinerary to so that we yep. go down to Mayfield ruins and yeah <laughs> yeah yep. it's uh you know
1: if you're going to the most northerly point in Australia it's not a trip to be taken um lightheartedly no <laughs> so to speak
0: no so my uh, wife was saying like oh we can do Rubyvale any weekend we can just go up there for a long weekend over easter or something like that but North of Cairns, well, probably north of Rockhampton. That's a that's yep. a week's trip. Like it it's gets a week difficult. to get up yeah. there. Yeah, that's right. It gets difficult, and you really got to plan.
1: Um I went out and did a shakedown trip last weekend, um, and uh, yeah, things went pretty well with that uh, new bar I put on the back and everything. Everything seemed to go pretty well. No dramas there. Uh lights all worked, which was good. Nice. Um but it was cold. We had that big cold snap come through the east side of Australia and uh everyone's been filling it up and down the coast. There's been heaps of snow. Uh, but yeah, it was cold but but uh yeah, no major dramas to report. So I'm oh, that's awesome. Pretty confident, yeah.
0: I just did the uh the last service on the vehicle before we before we head off and I couldn't get the, the bleed screw on the on the diesel fuel filter. Um, opened up so that I could drain it out before I took it off. And, um, and I don't know whether I was turning it backwards or not. I don't really know. But I, <laughs> I just co- I couldn't get it undone, so I just went, oh, well, I'll just unscrew it, and I'll accept the fact that I'm going to slosh a bit of diesel on the inner guard. Yeah, no, it wasn't just slosh a little bit of diesel on the inner guard. <laughs> it, it was, was all everywhere. the diesel. <laughs> <laughs> it still smells of diesel.
1: <laughs> yep. This is the way things work. Yep. But uh, yeah, look, we are recording this one a bit early. On we're recording mm. on the Friday afternoon. I'll I will publish it next Friday, so it's a week early. Um, and I'll publish it whilst we're on the road. Yeah. But uh, also towards the end of the trip, we are going to record our next show on the road. We are. So um, it'll be much. We'll be very similar. I've done this before. I was at Winton um, this time last year actually, and and recorded a show on the road. So. Um, yeah, expect uh, to hear a little bit about the area we're in. You know, we'll probably pick up a little uh, tourist pamphlets or something and give you a yeah, little yeah. bit of info on the area uh, that we're in. And incidentally,
0: the next one we're going to record, it'll be just a little bit east of Winton. We'll be at Longreach. It'll,
1: yeah, that's, well, not that far at all, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that that should be fun. And we'll be in the same, I'm going to say room, but caravan together. Cap, <laughs> so it be unusual. Sitting at the that'll dining
0: un- table at my camper trailer.
1: That's it. <laughs> So um, yeah, that's we've got all that to look forward to. But look, like I said, this week's been really busy. And to cap it all off, literally this morning I went and sat a certification.
0: Yeah, how'd you go at
1: the Google Cloud Professional DevOps certification? It's a recertification. It's the second time I sat it, and I passed. Yeah, nice. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, boy, oh boy, do they love their GKE. Oh, well, oh my goodness. I would say 50 to 70% of the questions had the three letters together at GKE in some form or another.
0: Yeah, well, let's see. They it, are pushing it hard. Yeah. That that and serverless are the two big things for Google. Like if you're going to move uh, into GCP, go into serverless uh, and GKE.
1: Cloud Run Cloud Run Sure, there were cloud run questions, but nowhere near the level that they were pushing GKE. Now, look, I've, I've, my admission is I don't know much. I've not really used GKE in anger. I know heaps about GCVE and <laughs> Google networking, but not so much GKE. I know you love your Kubernetes. Yep. Um, so I've got, to, I've got to solve this problem. Uh, my One of my favorite Zen sayings is the obstacle is the path, right? So, yep. If there's something you don't know, then that's the way forward. So when I get back from this chip, I'm gonna set myself up a the GKE cluster here. I might do Kubernetes the hard way and just build it from scratch. Yeah. And just learn how this all works from top to bottom. Um but uh yeah, so you, you'll hear look forward to hearing me some tech some you know, tech adventures on that one. Nice. But uh yeah, if uh if you're looking to sit that cert now, um my strategy for it was I went back and I reviewed a Cloud Guru training. Now, that is out of date. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the reason I did do that, though, is because when I went and did the sample questions, they only give you 13 sample questions, um, they were exactly the same as two years ago. The sample questions were exactly the same. And I thought, hmm, maybe they haven't revved the exam. I'll do the Cloud... I'll go through the Cloud Guru stuff anyway, Um, which wasn't completely invaluable like i I needed to refresh on that anyway Hmm. but but that was enough to get me through and then sort of my experience knowing how if you know how service accounts work and um you know uh workload you know it was a workload federation and things like that um workload identity federation then you find you can get through and if you you know you print you know our uh, principle of least, least privilege, privilege yep. and yeah, and those kind of concepts, SLO, SLA, SLI. Then you can f- you can factor what's going on in the question. You can figure it out and what's going on in the question. Were there a few questions where I just had no idea? Absolutely, there were. Like, I just had to stare blind, just dumbly at some of <laughs> them and go, "I literally have never heard of this before." <laughs> There's at least two r- or three <laughs> like <don't laughs> that. <there? laughs> Russian
0: roulette with the with the answers. Yeah. Let's let's just pick one. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna to have to go and look it up. Some question about setting a, a a development URL on a on a a cloud run instance and deploying a development instance. I don't know. I'd never done it before. Um, yeah, so a couple of things like that. But um, you know, as long as you get the rest of them right, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> Apparently it. worked for me, so I passed. <laughs> yep. Awesome. No, that's con- congrats, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, you're studying for the network
0: pro at the moment. How's that no, going? I, I am. It's slowly. Yes, no, it's, it's going slowly. slowly. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I look forward to hear from the, re- the report when you
0: move. Yeah, through on yeah. That. When I, when we get back, I'll finish it off and then I'll go and sit the exam.
1: That's
0: it. I that's know it. Uh, one of the one of the ladies that we work with. She's actually studying it as well. Um, shout out to Lydia. I had a I had a session with her today to go through calculating site ranges and and all that, which you obviously uh, need for the network cert. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, that's that's a that's a tricky one. That you you've got to know. Once again, you've got to know how your Kubernetes pods and and nodes fit into certain ranges, right? Yeah. Like,
0: yeah, like what's yeah. the what's the max number of pods per node, and and what size uh, range is allocated to each node, and therefore, if you need to deploy x number of pods, how what range of IP do you need? Yep,
1: yeah. yep, yep. It's all important in that that certification. Mm. Um. But uh, aside from that, I hear that Twitter is paying their bills again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so as it turns out, the new CEO of Twitter has uh, resumed paying for Google Cloud Services. Uh, yep. Uh, Linda Yacarino, I think is how you, uh, how you pronounce her name, uh, sat down with Twitter and, and reinstated the, the, uh, the payment of the, the bills over uh, the potential lawsuit that was coming their way. Oh. And, and loss of service.
1: Now, they've cut some deal with them so that they can do, like, some, some mutual deal where Google can advertise on their platform but Twitter gets credits
0: or something like that? Yeah, that's... Yeah. It, it, I found this one a little bit interesting. So, um, it, it says in the article that we read from IT News, uh, the two mm. companies will explore a deeper partnership that involves Google's advertising spending on Twitter and its use of the social media company's data access tool. Mm. So... Good. If they can work out a deal with Google to to continue paying for the service and and utilizing Google Cloud, then fantastic. It's better than mm. just cutting it off, um, as it was before. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. yep. Um, well, all right. Well, I, I look forward to next show to hear what uh, Melon Husk is up to because you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's a rather boring week if he's not doing anything something yeah, well, crazy. <laughs> And um, what's this about the Mega Upload guys? Yeah. Uh, they, uh, two coders at the file sharing website Mega Upload were sentenced to prison by a New Zealand court on Thursday after pleading guilty in a deal which they promised to testify against the site founder Kim.com. Yeah. That's, that's been ongoing for a while, right? It,
0: it has, eh? So they, uh, they were originally charged with 185 years. And and they got a they got a plea deal because they pleaded guilty uh to the charges so the plea deal brought it down to 10 years each. Uh but but kim.com is um is still fighting extradition from from New Zealand. Mm. Um but uh, the the takeaway from this article that I, I found just astronomical was US authorities say that uh that these three coders including .com and a fourth mega-upload executive, who's since died, had cost film studios and record companies more than five hundred million US, which is roughly equates to seven hundred twenty-six million uh, Australian dollars, and generated more than one hundred and seventy-five million US in in revenue by encouraging paid users to store and share co- copyrighted materials. Uh, that's an awful lot of money. It, I, but is it? Look, it costs
1: film studios and record companies more than 500 million. Now, hmm. a film, a single film, like an a, 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 a list film, could cost 30 or 40 million dollars to make. Oh, that's right.
0: That's right. right. But they're, they're talking about sales revenue. Oh, like, if you buy the movie, let's say you buy the movie, it's 40 bucks. You go and buy a DVD at the shop if you can find DVDs at a shop anymore. Yeah, <laughs> streaming rights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Well, that's it, streaming rights, because every time you stream something on Netflix or Binge or whatever other streaming services out there today and the plethora of, of streaming services that have popped up, um, that streaming service pays the film studio uh, a royalty to show that, mm. to show that uh, film. And so, I mean, based on that, you've, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of views.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think, I, it, it, you know what? This is this is a this is a drop in the ocean though. That's oh, yeah. that's the reality of it, right? That's right. Um, these. These, the film studios look. I'm not advocating for piracy by any means. It's stretch of the imagination. No. But the thing is, the film studios—they're still making money, right? They're, they're on on their on their box office opening, you'll see films that still make money. Oh yeah, right now it's the long tail of it, right? That's that's where they're losing out, right? Because once it comes out and it's on a DVD or it's on a streaming service and it gets ripped and it's available for anyone,
0: right? I think I think it's another one of those things where. I think the the film and, and music industry is very, very late to the party mm, um, on always, a lot of things they, yep. they pushed against digitization of their of their platforms for years and years and years and years. like mm. you, you and I were both around when Napster was around, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and they fought and, and sued Napster a million times then. Yep. Um, and then in, instead of and embracing then
1: Apple, it Apple,
0: uh, yeah, and Apple took the
1: torch and ran with it, and yeah. everyone was kicking themselves after that, right: That's
0: right. So, look, I think to a degree, the record and film studios, they got themselves to blame for a bit of it, um, but mm. but really and truly, just go and get a streaming service and stream the movie. You don't need to pirate it. But the number of streaming services, well, don't get me started on that one. Uh, I, I feel <laughs> like we're transitioning into the US, <laughs> yeah. where we've just got like a hundred oh, yeah. different streaming services and yeah, you've got no. to pay for each one separately.
1: Don't go down that rabbit hole. That's, no. That's, no. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time, but... You ran into a problem with RSA keys. Now, come on, Ian. This is an old problem. What, what did you find with this? Okay,
0: so this is an old problem. Okay, so um, RSA SHA-1 keys uh, have been deprecated since about 2020, about sort mm-hmm. of about mm-hmm. May-ish 2020. Uh, however, as of, <laughs> as of the latest release of Ubuntu and the latest release of RHEL, so I'm currently running RHEL 9 on my laptop here, um, and, uh, and I was deploying an Ubuntu 22.04 LTS machine uh, for a client mm-hmm. that I was working on during the week, you can no longer SSH into a machine with an RSA SHA-1 key. So all of your old keys that you've been using for donkey's years that you've never rotated because, you know, that's hard work, uh, they no longer work. No, don't, don't work. Um, and I, I hadn't noticed the problem because my laptop's on... REL nine, so automatically when I generate a key, it generates an ED two five five one nine key instead of uh, an RSA SHA one. Yes, uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely it is now completely obsoleted um, from both Ubuntu twenty two a four and its derivatives, um, yep. and and REL nine, and I'm assuming Fedora thirty six is the same. But uh yeah. dropped it. So yeah, you've yeah. got to update your keys.
1: I uh, I I ran into this problem what, about twelve months ago uh, mm. when I did update all my containers here locally to twenty two oh four. Yep, and tried to try to connect with my existing keys and nothing worked. Yeah, and I had to go around and regenerate a new set of keys. And so I'm I'm over that hump. I moved through that yeah. already. There is but, actually yeah, one to be aware there of. is
0: actually a workaround. So in 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 Linux you can go into the sshd config. And uh, add a add a parameter in there that says accept SHA one uh, yep. signed keys, but really just replace the keys. It's yep. it's honestly They're the insecure. better solution. Yeah,
1: and and that parameter is not like a comment or anything. You actually have to go and actively search for that to put it in. Uh, find out what it it's is. actually what a line is. that's
0: not there at all. So what you've got to do is go that's into the I mean, SSH yeah. config and and host key algorithms plus SSH dash RSA, and pubkey accepted key types plus SSH dash RSA. There you go. If you get stuck with that, just uh, rewind
1: the show and Ian can tell you all about how to fix (laughs) it. again. (laughs) All right, should we get on with some news items? We shall. Let's do it. Let's get on with the news items. Speaking of rants, let's preface this with... Begin rant. Yeah, yeah. Slash rant. Open bracket rant. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Now, if I was ever going to be pissed off with something, I am fucking pissed off about this one. <laughs> Google Domains shut down, bought by Squarespace. Oh, boy. Um, what, what? I'll give you my two cents in a minute. Where, where are you at with this, Ian?
0: Uh, mate, I'm, so I'm a Google Domains customer. Um, have been for years and years and years. Now, my issue, my biggest issue with this is not that Google's shutting it down, but that I learned about it from Squarespace. Yeah. I didn't learn about it from a Google notification or an email to me to say, hey, look, we're just about to enter into an agreement to sell to Squarespace um, and your domain's are going to be migrated over. You don't need to do anything. Everything's going to be cool. It was, there was literally like, Nothing. It was just silence yep. from yep. Google's
1: side. Well, and to, to rub salt in the wound, that they first give us a crapshoot that is .dot zip domains, oh. <laughs> and then and then they then they dump us and they, they they walk away from Google domains. Now, the reason I'm so irritated about this is because I have slowly over the last few years since I got involved with Google Cloud, been moving my entire ecosystem over into um, G- GCP. Mm-hmm. Right? I got a few websites, a few things on the outside that I do, and a few people that I help with things, and I've been migrating my domains. I must have 20 domains there, right? Um, I'm not quite done with all of them yet, and I had been slowly migrating them. Guess what? Yep. i got to migrate them all back now.
0: Yep. All and right? the prob- biggest problem with that is if you've only just migrated a domain, yeah. there's a hold period there where you can't migrate it again until the whole period is up. And I did, can't remember the exact number, but it's like 60 days or something. So yep. it's got to stay yep. there for two months before you can move it again. Yeah, I think, I think I'm in the clear for that one. But it's just the work, right? It's just the
1: hours already oh. put into doing all that.
0: It's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous scenario. Now, look, um, I can't say a huge amount about what I learned this morning. I was on the Champion mm. Innovators um, call this morning with the, with the product leads at, at Google about this. Um, and I won't say anything about what, I've, uh, what I learned there. But look, my my inkling is here that this is going to irritate a lot of people. There's going to be mm. a lot of people like us, consultants that are trying to close deals with businesses. Um, lots and lots of people who are going to just go. Well, I'm no longer using Google products. No, nah, stuff this. I'm going elsewhere. Yep. Um, yep. I know. For me, for me, this was a. I was completely blindsided by the news. Um, I, I did subsequently find an article stowed away on Google's domain support page that says, Hey, we're entering into an agreement to sell the Squarespace and you don't need to do anything. It's all good. Yep. But, but I didn't get that from Google. I didn't get Mm. the notification from Google to say, Hey, look, this is what's happening. And, and don't worry about it because it's all going to be Cool. It was just silence. And, and so much like a lot of the shutdowns that we've had in the past from Google where they just turn something off. Yeah. Um, it's yep. handled from, a, from a, an appearance point of view, it is handled really, really badly. And Google needs to do a hell of a lot better.
1: Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's it's almost a meme now, isn't it? Like hmm. Google Google spins up a new product. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. No one's going to use it. Uh, they won't support it for very long. They'll shut it down. So don't worry about it. Don't use it. You know, well, I-, I-, I talked to you before. This is what exactly what happened with Stadia in yeah. the US. Um, we never got it here, but th- th- there was some stories floating around. Uh, they launched Stadia. Everyone was standoffish. No one wanted to commit their money to it. Um, streaming games, great idea. Um, but is Google going to shut it down if it doesn't get traction? And guess what? It's exactly yep. what they did.
0: And, and it's it's scary to see that there's actually a site called killedbygoogle.com where you can <laughs> yeah. see everything that Google has tombstoned, and it yeah. is a long, a long and list. very, very distinguished list. And Google Domains is but the latest on that list.
1: Anyway, to get to the details on this, I'll link, a, I'll link an article to the register. Google has sold off domains. It's side hustle selling and managing web domains to Squarespace in a deal reportedly worth $180 million. The transfer means about 10 million customer domains will be looked after by Squarespace. Now, here's the thing. What if I don't want to be on Squarespace, right? I like I the idea of having all my internet services from, from Google. That's what I wanted, right? That's the, that's the space I wanted to be. I don't want to go to Squarespace. I tried to use Squarespace years ago, and frankly, I didn't like them. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, you know, you and I have talked about alternative domain name providers, so I might look at something like that. Um, I'd, so it's just screwed the pooch for a lot of people.
0: And, and the other part of this too is, so to start with Google domains was like the third most popular registrar in the world. Like I, I saw a graph, um, on the internet yeah, right. this morning that shows Google domains as like the third most popular underneath GoDaddy and um, I can't remember what the other one was, but but super popular. So surely mm. it has to be a profitable business for them. Mm. Um, and then the so other it thing of of Google- Begs the question. Well, yeah. that's right. It begs the question, yeah. But the other thing of Google's, um, Google's thing of, we will never sell your data to a third party. Ugh. And one of the things that I'll call out on this is- On the support article, it says um, there's no action that you need to take. Transaction between Google and Spares, once it's approved, um, you'll receive more information about the transition of your domain names. Um, This process is going to happen gradually and is expected to take several months. Uh, One other section of it, and that's fine, like that's that's a, a reasonable thing to do. After the close, there will be a transition period during which customer and billing information will be migrated over time. Yeah. So to me, that says that Google is selling my information to another company. And mm. I don't want that. I've never had an email from Squarespace. And if I get an email from Squarespace, I'm gonna be yeah. fairly unhappy.
1: Yeah. You never agreed to have your information sold to Squarespace? Nope.
0: Never. No. And I understand that acquisitions happen and all that sort of stuff, but but I'm in the process at the moment of moving my domains out of Google Domains. Yeah. Because be I just too. won't yep. I, I'm sorry. I don't like Squarespace. I'm much in the same bucket no. as you. Don't like Squarespace. Yep. I'm moving away. Yeah, yeah. I'll be doing exactly
1: the same. Um, boy, we should we end rant. We, there? we should slash rant there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. End rant there. I don't think we need to say anything more on that. Um, leave it up to you. If you want to stay with them, then then be my guest. Or if you're as annoyed about it as I am, then just just get off them. Which yep. is what I plan to do. Um, all right, let's move on to something that Google's actually done. That's pretty cool. Mm. A couple of cool things: um, shared, shared persistent disks bl- bl- between
0: bl- bl- VMs. Yeah, this is cool. I like this. this is, I like this. This is really cool. Um, I've been a massive fan of of shared disks for for various things, uh, like centralizing your your storage. But yep. uh, this is this is an awesome. An awesome feature to be added to uh, persistent disks in GCE. Yeah,
1: so straight out of the documentation, you can attach an SSD persistent disk in multi-writer mode to up to two N2 virtual machines simultaneously so that
0: both VMs can read and write to disk. Love it. I do. There's there's some caveats to it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean... As with all persistent disks, you've got to consider the, the, the operating system that's going to be ap- accessing them. Absolutely. So yep. um, things like um, EXT4, XFS, NTFS, they are not designed to work in multi-writer mode. If they don't like it, you start, you start writing data to a disk from one side and the other side's not going to see it and possibly write straight mm. over the top of it.
1: Chuck's a willy. That's right. Yeah,
0: that's right. And then all all of a sudden, you've got got corrupted disks and you're losing data everywhere.
1: So that's right. So you've got to be careful what file system you use, right? Now, there's Red Hat's... The two that I have used in the past for this is Red Hat's global file system, GFS, Mm -hmm. and that'll do it. Uh, And of course, VMware's VMFS, Yes, right? And you can see how that is the perfect use case for it, right? Where you would have two virtual machines that are redundant to each other and they're writing to the same persistent disk. Yep. Perfect, right? Yeah, Um, that's right.
0: Um, There's a couple of limitations here that I find interesting. So... Okay, the first one is not not that interesting, really. It's it's uh, only available for SSD type persistent disk, so you can't use it on a balanced persistent disk or a or a standard persistent disk, and that's fine. I don't really care about that too much. Um, I prefer the SSD types anyway. Um, maximum of two instances attached at any one time. Multi sorry, multi writer mode persistent disk do not support persistent disk metrics, so you're not going to get the metrics out of it, which I find a little bit. Strange. Mm. But I suppose that's sort of a limitation at this point in, in its evolution in that they've got to be able to pull those metrics from two different VMs. From
1: somewhere, that's mm. right. I was thinking that's probably to do with the way it reads the metric through the VM and they can only read it from one source. Yeah, that's not right. from both source, something to do with that.
0: Yeah. Um, now, disks in multi-writer mode cannot change to read-only mode. So you can't remount the disk as read-only, which is uh, probably not so much of a big deal. Um, you can't use disk images or snapshots to create persistent disks in multi-writer mode. And you can't create sh- snapshots or images from persistent disks in multi-writer mode. Right.
1: That's probably got something to do with the flushing of the cache. That's right. Yeah. The so, VM, right? Yeah. So they would need to um, induce a, a case flush and trying to synchronize that across two would be... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and not, not impossible, but they just probably haven't got there yet.
0: <laughs> that's right, and, and that's what I think is is possibly it's just yeah. a this is a, a a first preview of the uh, multi-rider mode, and yeah. and in time we will get the ability to flush uh, both machines cached down to disk and and then snapshot it. Um, yeah, the other yeah. ones, the lower IOPS limits, I'm not so concerned about because you're on SSD, so really mm-hmm. I don't care. Uh, but this one I find a little bit daunting is that you cannot resize a multi-writer persistent disk.
1: Probably the same issue with um, caches and the, the uh, holding of the petition table information. Like it, mm. it needs to be flushed out of both kernels. Oh, I know that needs to be coordinated somehow. Yeah. And
0: yeah, I don't know how you do that. So <laughs> I think the only way to do that is use logical volumes over the top of it. And then, right. and then probably just add another physical volume to LVM, and you'll right. Get, but
1: you're still not resizing the actual persistent disk. No, right? you're just you're adding using, another disk to it. You're just adding
0: a mm. yeah, yeah. So that's a slice to it. Like, yeah, because generally mm. the only way that you go is up in in persistent disks. Very rarely that you'd step down mm. in size unless mm. you've mm. completely overestimated how much data you're going to put in, mm. which is mm. almost never the case. So look, mm. it's it's an interesting evolution of persistent disks. I love it. I'm going to have to give it a, a really good play, uh, maybe in three weeks' time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now, I, uh, if, if you look at this article here, they do say um, it takes you off to shared disk file systems, uh, the Wikipedia link, and it does not have on this list, well, it is an example list, but it does not have on here uh zfs now i know that you can use zfs in this mode because i've actually done it okay uh, on on solaris mind you um not not on linux or or windows per se. um so interesting i wonder if we can do that with zfs on linux hmm, might be worth another little tinkle there yeah well i'll
0: I'll, uh, yeah. I'll definitely run up a machine and or two and see if we can get it running
1: yeah um Oracle cluster file system is supported, though, so yep. they are thinking about that.
0: Yeah. As, is, yeah, as you mentioned before, Red Hat's global file system. There's That's n- right. There's no mention there of um, any generic uh, open source file systems.
1: Now, One. there is something else on there, Ian, Weka FS. Now, I don't know if you've looked into this yet, but this is a new thing. Um, they've got an entire data platform called uh, the Weka Data Platform, and there's a file system and everything that goes along with it. I need to go away and do an investigation to this, but uh, for the listeners and for yourself, if you, mm. yeah, go and take a look at this and, you know, give yourself a, do yourself a favour, have a little preview of this Weka that's yeah. mentioned in that
0: list as well. Oh, and if you're on Windows, you can use cluster-shared volumes. And And just to... Just to make it not at all confusing, Microsoft abbreviates that as MSCSV. Because <laughs> <laughs> they haven't used the CSV um, acronym for anything else.
1: No, they haven't. They haven't at all. All right, let's move on then. Um, introducing secure web proxy for egress traffic protection. Now, this is great. I can think of some great uses for this.
0: Mm, this, is, this is really um, cool.
1: Yeah, so what we get now is Google Cloud provides multiple layers of security um, to help customers stay ahead of evolving threats. Just reading from the blog here, they'll link in the show notes. Uh, Today at our annual security summit, we're excited to announce the general availability of Secure Web Proxy, a cloud-first network security offering that provides web egress traffic inspection, protection, and control. Um. So basically you get a, if you've got uh, egress, if you've got compute resources or anything that needs egress access to the internet, you proxy through this device and it will inspect and check and do everything it needs to do uh, to make that traffic as as secure as possible. It does a little more than Mm. CloudNet. Oh, it, right. does. it, it gives it, it gives you this inspection point. What it what it's actually doing, it's uh there's a there's a product called NetScope, and that's that's what NetScope exactly does. Now in an enterprise environment, you might have something like this set up. You've got a web proxy to go out to the internet mm-hmm. and NetScope will inspect it basically breaks the, <laughs> the, the the TLS connection, inspects the traffic and then sends it out. So you got some jiggery pokery that happens with all your certificate authorities, but does, that's all right. Does he a man in the middle? There's a man in the middle, basically a man in the middle. Yep. Um, now, so this is a perfect use case for that. You may have a situation where a client uh, or a, an enterprise is making the transition to cloud. Um, they have um, a uh, an interconnect going back to on-prem and they may be in a position where they want all their traffic to go back on-prem so that they can do their inspection. Now, they might be using Palos, they might be using something like NetScope, uh, but they want, to, they want to inspect it all. Now, a point in time comes where they want to get rid of on-prem and come completely 100% in cloud. Quite often what they'll do is I'll spin up a a VM uh, with their appliance on it to do their inspection. No more, not needed. We just just set up this uh, um, web proxy, secure web proxy, and and you're off
0: to the races. Wow. Okay. That's going to be really cool. Anything that replaces a Palo Alto is great in (laughs) my (laughs) mind.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and it's a cloud service, so it's, you know, minimal configuration, easy to set up, you know, you know, it checks all the boxes and it passes all the security validations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I, I want to go and have a play with this myself, really get familiar with this because mm. I can see for Casna, the potential for this is we're going to have clients come, come, you know, screaming for this for sure.
0: Yeah, Definitely. I'd I'd be interested to see if it suffers from the same issue as cloud IDS does, where it only scales to a certain point and then you don't guarantee inspection. So, yeah, I'll have to have a look. Well,
1: that that would be interesting, but, you know, you'd have to think about the type of traffic you're putting through it. Now, if you're bringing all your workstation and desktop traffic, you know, because that's kind of the traffic you really need to inspect – um, is it going to be that much? You know, probably not, right? Um, another use case might be if you have a workload that needs to reach out to the internet and if that workload becomes compromised, you want the traffic to be inspected to make sure it's going to uh, legitimate sites and doing what it's supposed to do and do nothing nefarious. So if that was the case, potentially there could be more, a bit more load required there. Um, I don't, I don't know how it works. Can we spin up multiple instances of Cloud SWP? No, it yeah, doesn't. You, it
0: p- 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 doesn't look like its uh, initial setup steps are are pretty simple. The the is fairly light on at the moment, um, mm. for mm. obvious reasons. It does show it here being in
1: a zone in mm. the example US West One B. So maybe you can have like one in each, one in each each zone. Yeah, yeah, and that might be a way to sort of spread the load a little bit.
0: Yeah. <coughs> um. Yeah, so definitely one to check out. will That's on the list of playing with uh, things to play with when we get back. That's on the list of things to play with. Absolutely, that be tied along up along for with weeks. Kubernetes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: um, let's move on to some security items now. Some big news in security this week. Oh boy, I just just kept firing the things out. And oh. and Ian, you you've been track following this story about uh,
0: Victoria Fire and Rescue. Yeah. So uh, I, re- I read about this, uh, the original breach that they had in December last year. Uh, and it caused a, caused a shutdown of a whole heap of their IT systems. So to the point where the, uh, the their fire and rescue staff, the responders were using radios and mobile phones and pages and the likes instead of their, their IT platform that they have in the vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, So that was back in December 15 and 16? Yep.
1: This article here that I'll link is December 16, 2022? Yep.
0: Yep. And then uh, they've come out in the 2022-23 quarter three outcomes progress report and said that the cyber attack on uh, Fire and Rescue Victoria in December 22 continues to severely impact FRV's information and computer technology systems. FRV also reports that it's developing an interim... Uh, sorry, developing and implementing interim solutions to maintain system functionality and data collection functions where possible. However, the time frame for retrieval of data stored in those systems and access to systems and applications is still unknown. And that I find yeah. a little bit scary because we are six months down the track from the initial breach. Yeah. And, and these guys are developing and inter- implementing interim systems in order to get their systems back online. So At what point do you just chuck it all out and just, just rebuild something new? Well, that, and you know, that's the thing. It's, is, is, it, yeah. is it really worth trying to fix the systems that you've got? Why not just turn them off, spin up new ones, and off you go? Build it
1: properly from the ground up. Yep. Yeah, because you know it's legacy Band-Aid on top of Band-Aid yeah. on top of Band-Aid. Yeah, of course it is. and. Look, they don't say it, but reading between the lines and they say it's, it's taking them a while to recover the information, mm. it really sounds like a ransomware attack.
0: It does. It does. But the original article doesn't mention anything and neither does this one. It doesn't mention no. anything about ransomware at all. Um, there, there is a mention of um, some people suspect it might be ransomware, but there's nothing mm. about whether it is or not. A Very tight-lipped about it, that's yeah. for sure. Yep.
1: Um. Yeah, well, it's just it's just drawn my curiosity now. I want to know more. Like, let's well, let's follow this story Ian, and and see what we can find out in the future.
0: I think that I mean that's a that's a a smaller attack compared to to our next one.
1: Yeah. So, um, well, let's let's just get through the list here. Yes, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's a list this week. Yeah, We've it is. Got, it's horrible. Medi Medibank staff details stolen after property manager faces cyber breach. So, what's happened here? It sounds like um, Medibank, or I just read from the article here in IT News, Medibank said a file containing names and contact details of staff members had been compromised after its property manager faced a cyber breach. So, this is the property manager of Medibank. Yeah. Not Medibank themselves. Mm. So, because Medibank's still reeling from their last nine point seven million um, (laughs)
0: customer information given away. Customer information given away. So, uh, so the the actual article goes on and says that it wasn't actually Medibank that was compromised. It was one of its property managers uses a file transfer software, MoveIt, and that was compromised. And a file containing employees' names, email addresses, and phone numbers was stolen. Um, the company added that the file did not have employee bank details, payroll or home addresses. Regardless, I mean, it's names, email addresses and phone numbers. It's, it's still mm. that's still a fair whack of data and correlate that with uh, all the rest of the data that's been leaked in, well, the last 12 months from within Australia. Chuck it on the pile. Yep. Chuck, it yeah, on yeah, the pile. That, chuck it on the pile. Chuck it on the pile. And that's literally how... A profile is built of you on the dark web is all these little pieces of information. You might go, oh, someone stole my email address over here. All right, so what? But someone's also, they also know your name over there and they know your phone number over here and you've had some dude um, calling you and recording you on the phone um, whilst you're- They can build up a whole profile of you. They've got a whole heap of information on you.
1: Yeah, and cl- including you and I, they can get our voices as well. That's right. <laughs> you know, and make make an AI bot of us, right? Well,
0: that's it. And and you can yeah. make a very, very convincing AI bot of someone. Mm. Mm. So, yet another <sighs> um, kick in the guts for poor old Medibank. Yep. And then we get on to um,
1: data leak at Australian law firm Spooks Government. Now, this is a biggie. This is now, huge. I, I didn't get much. This is literally just landed on my desk this morning. I, I found out about this because of the, the article that we're going to get onto in a minute uh, mentions it. Uh, this is uh, an InfoSec. So this is the 20th, 20th of June, uh, and we're recording today on the 23rd. Uh, this is from the Register. An InfoSec incident at a major Australian lawn firm has sparked fear amongst the nation's governments, banks, and businesses – uh, the firm H W L Ebsworth has acknowledged that on the April twenty eighth, now two months. Yep. I mean, that's disgusting. They yeah, really right. should have known before then. We became aware that a threat actor identified as Alpha B V Cat made a post on a dark web forum claiming to have exfiltrated data from H W L Ebsworth. Now, why is this important? Because they are the Lawyers for the big four banks in australia, yep and for medicare yep and and a few other government departments as well
0: yeah yeah so the 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 federal government is establishing a apparently establishing a task force to determine the extent of this exposure um, which is thought and this is a really scary prospect, which is thought to include some sensitive military material so like that's when you start compromising military assets. That's when things get a little bit uh, yeah. a bit more frightening than okay, your driver's yep. license being compromised. It's inconvenient, yep. but it's not like national security
1: type inconvenient. It's national security. Now you understand the term national security, right? When things yep. like that start, alarm bells really go that's off. That's right. right.
0: And I suspect that uh, ASIO and, and ASD, the alarm bells are really ringing there at the moment. Mm. Mm. And we have uh
1: Tasmania is also a client of them mm-hmm. and ironically, the Office of Australian Information Commissioner, the entity to which data breaches must be reported,
0: is also a client yep yeah it's yeah <laughs> a little bit ironic that the the people you've got to report the breach to are one of your own clients. <laughs>
1: This has to be a state-sponsored thing, you would think, right? To go after this particular law firm, knowing who their clients are. Yeah, uh, I think is Australia a soft target? That's what I'm. That's what I'm seeing here at the moment. We've we've rested on our laurels for so long. Yeah, um, we're the little you know, fish
0: in the ocean, and why would anybody want to want to attack us? And all of a sudden, but, yeah, but we're high tech, yeah. right?
1: We're, c- c- we're we're we're, we're Pulling our weight along with all the other Western worlds when it comes to you know our, our adoption of technology and use of technology in in government and in um, you know in enterprise, and I think we've just just rested on our laurels too long. you know why would we why would we go after australia well it's the, the, the reason you get a car alarm mm. right. Not, not so that they don't break into yours, but so they break into everyone else's car, right? It makes yours more difficult. Yeah. That's exactly what's happened. The other countries in the world have become more difficult. Yeah. And now we're the soft one, yeah. we're the soft touch. Yeah, yeah that's it.
0: Right? I, uh, I, I find it interesting that uh, HBL or EBL, no, HB, HWL Ebsworth um, secured an injunction to prevent the media from reporting on the content of the leaked documents. Um, and, I, and that's... I suppose a good thing and a bad thing, it's a good thing in so far as if the public doesn't know what's in those documents, then the negotiating power of the hacker is far lessened, mm. but it's also bad in so far as we don't know what was in those documents and we might never know. Mm. And that mm. could be some, like, some fairly um, sensitive stuff. Well, if it's if it's state secrets and sensitive
1: material stuff, then I can understand why they don't. Yeah, want that's right. Being publicly known. I mean, we're at the point now, and I think I mentioned this last week that just about everyone's identity's been compromised online now. So, does do you really care if it contains personal, except for you, except <laughs> yeah. for me? Cross fingers, touchwood. Oh, it'll be, it'll be out there, <laughs> be don't there you worry? It'll be out there. It'll be there somewhere. Uh, so it's like, meh. It's keys in the lava, right? It's already gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that brings us on to the next story, um, which incidentally I, I just managed to catch because my wife was watching ABC this morning. Um, the nation's first cybersecurity coordinator appointed as government reacts to the HWL Ebsworth breach. Uh, this is an article on ABC News. Um, Australia's first cyber coordinator has been announced. The federal government reckons with a hack at law firm uh, used by the banks of the federal government. Now, For four months on and with authorities now looking into a major cyber breach, Miss O'Neill, who's the Minister for... uh, Home Affairs. Home Affairs, has announced Air Marshal Darren Goldie would take on the role in July. So here we are, we have this military guy who's going to take over uh, this cyber incident response group.
0: Yeah. Right? I... I find there's a there's a comment in this article here from Deputy Liberal Leader Susan Lay, um, mm. who, who is reported to say she welcomed the pending announcement, but she also said, uh, I believe the government has taken too long to deal with these cybersecurity threats in Australia, but I'm never going to criticise them for taking action that they need to take at the time that they need to. So, And I agree with her. Um, I think... Australia's cybersecurity laws have been far too lax for far too long, much that you've you said that just before, we're the soft target. Mm. Uh, and I think, like, this, this breach was known about for two months now and we're only now finding out about a cybersecurity centre um, that's going to be headed up by uh, Air Marshal Goldie. I think that should have been done... Within weeks of that uh, attack being known
1: oh, the Medibank attack I mean if, mm. the, if that was an impetus to do it, then, then what was? we should have been taking leads from other Western countries that have got similar roles you know yeah. this is the new this is the new battlefront that's right, right? and I, I I'm I, I'm am not trying to sound cliche, right? But it's cyber warfare. It is literally cyber warfare. That is what's happening now. This is the battlefront now. That's right. Um you know, we've got a war going on in the world, but even that, right? Even though that's a traditional one going on, you're seeing drones. I mean, the the usage of drones, right? The usage of this kind of modern tech um it is all cyber warfare now and and, and we're actually on the pointy end of it right now and feeling the pinch of it.
0: Yeah, that's right. We're, uh, I, I welcome this. I welcome the Australian Cybersecurity Centre. I think it's a fantastic move. Um, I hope they have enough clout uh, legislated behind them that they can actually affect some real change, though. Um ee, might make our jobs a little more difficult though, Ian. Well, if that's the <laughs> if that's the price that we've got to pay, then so be it. I'd rather yeah. I'd rather make the job a little bit more difficult and make customer data a lot more secure mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. make everything nice and simple to do and and uh and have data breached left, right and center. Left right and center, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, that article on ABC breaks it all down, talk, talks about the appointment of Goldie and gives you a little more detail on H.W. Edward Bridge um, and uh, yeah, talks about the Big Four and Medibank, how they're involved as well. Oh, sorry, and um, uh, Medicare, how they're involved as well. All right. Jeez, uh, well, I'm just tracking the time here over an hour. So let's get on with the AI Wars. AI Wars. Generative AI support now on Vertex AI is now generally available. Yeah. Uh, This is nice. Uh, Off the Google blog, today we're excited to announce general availability of generative AI. Say that three times fast. On Vertex AI, giving customer access to our latest platform capabilities for building and powering custom generative AI applications. With this update, developers can access our text model powered by Palm 2. Nice. Nice. Uh, embeddings API for text and other foundation models in Model Garden. Yeah, it well, was such a nice name. It is. It's such a pretty the week. name.
0: I did go intend
1: to the garden? <laughs> That's it. Um, Model Garden lets customers access and experiment with foundation models from Google and its partners, with over sixty models available and many more to come. Uh, what do you think about this, Ian? Are you going to go and have a play with this?
0: Uh, it's definitely on the list. Again, that yep. list when we get back from the Cape is long <laughs> and distinguished. Uh, but yeah, I, I have to go and have a play with this. This this looks really cool.
1: I uh yeah, I, I I'm you know, I'm on a bit of a cert drive at the moment, personal cert drive, and the ML certification is on my short list, and this will be high on on the uh play with things when I get to the ML certification. Yeah, so definitely. I'm looking forward to
0: it. Definitely. Yeah. No, they've got they've got here uh they're already seeing innovative res- innovative results from early adopters via our trusted tester program and preview period. For example, leading global airline supplier GA Telesis is using the Palm Two model, sorry, the Palm model on Vertex AI to build a data extraction solution that automatically synthesizes email orders and provides customers a quote. This eliminates the need for their sales team to manually cross-reference emails with inventory availability. And GitLab is also leveraging the Cody model on Vertex AI for their explain this vulnerability feature. There's there's a whole there's a whole list of, of integrations there from early adopters and I, I think the capabilities here are potentially endless. Mm, mm. Uh, I really want to have a go and play with it and see what I can break. Yep.
1: And Canva, I think we reported on Canva a few weeks ago on some of the generative oh, yeah, we uh, did stuff that they're doing in, inside their app. Turns out they're using Vertex AI to do that. That's
0: cool. Um,
1: yeah, so uh, good. Blo- good link in the blog article. Uh, uh, sorry, good. I'll put the link in the show notes. But there's also a link at the bottom of that to uh, a latest AI news uh, called the Prompt, uh, which is a a weekly newsletter that Google publishes. Just telling you about the latest in generative AI and AI um, generally. Um, so go and have a read of that if you want to get up to date. Uh, and I think we'll end up on this last one here, uh, which is ironic. The irony is not lost on me with this one. <laughs> Google, this is from uh, Australian IT News. Um, Google, one of AI's biggest backers, warns own staff about chatbots. Alphabet is cautioning employees about how they use chatbots, including its own bard. At the same time, as it markets the program around the world
0: <laughs> the irony the, yeah. yeah this is <laughs> <laughs> uh i yeah i i i don't know really what to say here this is uh yeah. this is, it's it's Amusing and sad at the same time.
1: Same, so it is. Yeah. Google parent has advised employees not to enter its confidential materials into AI chatbots. The people said at the comp- company confirmed, citing long-standing policy on safeguarding information. Now, look, we've talked about this, right? Mm. Just don't go to chatbots and paste huge blocks of of PII or you know um, commercially sensitive information. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's right. Your IP is still your IP. You still need to protect yeah. it. Um, you can, um,
1: I, I guess you could, you could uh, obfuscate the data somehow, right? There are ways of doing that, mm. right? Run it through DLP or whatever, right? Um, you can use your own private model, right? Yeah, we, we there's ways to do that now. Um, just don't go put it into public, public ones.
0: I, uh, I, I had a bit of a chuckle at the. There's a. There's a par- or a sentence in this article, it says Alphabet also alerted its engineers to avoid direct use of computer code that chatbots can generate, some of the people have said. Uh, and I'm, I'm like, hang on, you're working at Google getting paid stupid amounts of money and you're using a chatbot to generate code? What the? Oh, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> well, you're, you're employed at the, at, the, at the big tech because you are excellent at your job. Yeah
1: look now Ian, on that to be honest with you right not everyone can just go up to a chatbot having no if you don't know python you don't have any programming skills mm. go up to go up to bard and say write me a python program that does blah yeah correct right? they they'll get the code and then it's like well, what do i do with it now mm. right 9 times out of 10 the case is not going to work right because uh, yeah i've tried it right i've tried it and, and you you got it you actually need to know what you're doing to a certain degree already
0: oh yeah definitely
1: right and it's it's, like, it's just like searching on Stack Exchange, right? It's just gonna it'll give you a it'll give you a little prompt, a little push to go in the right direction. Oh, okay, I'll use this piece and that piece and then still gotta sort of know how to put it together anyway.
0: Yeah, that's right. But I what I think I'm saying here is that I wouldn't expect an engineer working at Google or Microsoft or Meta or Amazon or any of those big tech companies to be using mm. a chatbot to generate code in the first place. I would expect that mm. Um, they are smart enough and know the language that they 're coding in because it 's a the language they use every day in or and and be able to the, to know the nuances of that applic that yeah. uh, language yeah.
1: no you're right you're right if they are using it every day and they know it well enough i mean, it's, it's probably it's an extra step yeah. right it's a te- it's a tedium that they don't need to go and ask it just type it out just just yeah. work it out yourself right and then yeah. and
0: then not even that like i i know I know Ruby well enough, I know C-sharp well enough, I know Go to a degree, and I know Mm. JavaScript well enough that I could probably go to BARD or ChatGPT and get a block of code written out for me, but I reckon I'd probably spend more time reading through that code trying to understand what the chatbot has given me and trying to understand how that fits in versus just writing it myself.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, and that's, yeah, you're absolutely right there because you know what it's like. Mm. You know how to code, but you go and look at someone else's code, and you have got no idea, no. <laughs> right? They've got their head; they're in a they're in a completely different headspace when they write it. It's like you know you, you finish some code off on Friday afternoon, you come back to it Monday morning, you go, "What the hell did I just write?" Yeah.
0: <laughs> or, right? we've or, all been in that situation. Or the days where you used to have uh, enterprise application uh, developers that that used to code with levels of abstraction that are just ludicrous in mm. in the modern world. And you sort of – you read it and they've got an interface that points to an abstract that points to a class and or, or vice versa, actually. Um, uh, but, but is there a need for that level of abstraction? No. Does it benefit mm-hmm. the application? Not really.
1: No. So – Makes it modular to a degree. Yeah, but but, but – but, but, yeah, and th- you, you've just touched on an interesting point there, right? Like if you are in that situation where you're writing – code at an enterprise level, um, the chatbot's not going to know the nuances of the code base you're on. No. It's not going to know the functions and the classes you've got to call, right? That's
0: right. Mm. Yeah, so I I don't, I would never ever advocate for the use of a chatbot to write code in the first place. I mean, if you're a home user and you're just writing a little like dynamic DNS updater in Python or in in Go or whatever it is that you're writing it in then go for your life, but mm. don't, don't go using it if you're an enterprise. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Point
1: taken, Ian. I'll give that one to you. <laughs> <Ding>. <laughs> All right. Look, I'm seeing an hour and 15 minutes here on the timer, and we have gone on enough today, and I want to get out of here. Yep, it's time to some, go and pack the car. It's Time to go and pack the car. Can't wait. The next time you hear from us, we will be out in the middle of Queensland somewhere. Yep. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, we'll actually be in the same room. So I'm looking forward to it. And it's going to be a a fun trip and we'll tell you all about it. And, of course, we'll keep you updated on the latest with Google Cloud as well while we're on the road. Uh, don't forget to go to iTunes and write the show or review. It really helps the show out. You can contact the show, gcplife at casna.com.au. We've got the Twitter there, which uh, is going to keep running because they paid the bills at GCP Life. Uh, we've also got the website there. Just Google that. You'll find us. And don't forget, today's sponsor is Casna. At Casna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. That's about it from me. Anything else, Ian, to add? No, mate, it's beer o'clock. It's beer o'clock. <laughs> All right. We'll catch you well in a few weeks. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <sighs>
0: La la la. La la la.
1: Okay. La la la.